This is Exodus 15, the ancient Israelites 3,000 years ago, and they were the slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses to lead them out. And after the plagues in Egypt happened, they came through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea is the great victory where God parted the water, and they walked through while Pharaoh's army chased them from behind. And as soon as the last Hebrew got up out of the water, the water collapsed and drowned Pharaoh and all his army, and, and they're free. We've escaped slavery. All the bad stuff is over. 400 years of oppression and racism and evil and suffering and hard labor. And it's, it's all over and we're on our way to the promised land. And three days later, this happens. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. That is the Sinai Peninsula. Just so you know, picture there's a little triangle of land between the modern countries of Egypt and Israel today, right on the corner between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. So this is where they're at. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, or bitterness. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight... And give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So Moses brought the nation of Israel up from the Red Sea. They're following the pillar of fire. God is leading them, but Moses is their authority. God takes them out into the wilderness of Shur, into the Sinai Peninsula. I want to show you what this looks like. The Sinai Peninsula, northern Egypt and the corner of what is today Saudi Arabia and and Israel, is serious desert. It's not like our eastern Oregon deserts where there's plants and creeks. Um, it is, it's just bare rock, except where there's an oasis, where there's water. So this is what an oasis in, in the Sinai, far northwestern Saudi Arabia, far northeastern Egypt, this is what this looks like, where you, the, there'll be some shrubby trees those are acacia trees that are related to our hawthorn that live here, and there's palm trees. And, and when those happen, the people would know that there's water, uh, and there would either be a well or they would dig down into the dirt and find the water and, and drink it. And, and this is not necessarily Mara. No one knows where exactly it was. There's some theories about we can go three days walk east of the Red Sea, and where do we find water that... So Moses has... Somewhere between a quarter million and two million people and animals. And they have gone three days without water. This is a really serious problem. And when they find water for the first time in three days, it's bitter. Now, bitter doesn't, doesn't mean poisonous. It just, it could, we don't, since we don't know exactly where this was, um, that word bitter just means that it, was, it didn't taste good. So it could have been severely minerally, like sulfur water, like hot lake. Or it could have been alkaline, which means it would have tasted very bitter. But it wasn't fresh water. It was either stagnant, or it was alkaline, or it was sulfury or mineral-ish of some sort. And it was so bad that it was essentially undrinkable. And it says, and the people complained against Moses. Every time the people complain in 
in this story of their 40 years in the wilderness, God's really angry, but a whole bunch of those times I'm like, it makes sense that they were complaining. Three days without water, uh, that makes sense, you know, and when they didn't have any food, it makes sense, and when they cried out because the Egyptians were chasing them in there, anyway, but God is not pleased because God expects faith no matter what. God expects faith no matter what, even when it's perfectly reasonable to be scared. It's not okay with God. So the people complained against Moses, and it says, and God showed Moses a tree. So Moses cries out to the Lord. The people are blaming him, and he goes, and this pattern happens over and over for 40 years. The people blame Moses, and Moses goes to God, and it says, and Moses, God showed Moses a tree, and told him to throw it in the water, and the water was made sweet. Now, sweet doesn't mean it turned into Kool-Aid. It, means, it just means it was fresh. It, it turned fresh water. Okay? The, the, the bitter taste was taken out of it. So the word tree in Hebrew, you need to understand, don't picture Moses chopping down a tree with an axe and throwing it in the pond. I showed you what the trees look like um, around the oasis. It's either a palm tree or one of these shrubby little desert shrubs around. But the, in Hebrew, the word tree, they don't differentiate between a tree and a bush or even a stick or a fence post or a stick of lumber. Anything that's made out of wood is a tree until it's made into something like Moses's rod. But if it's just a stick of wood or a beam or a timber or a post or a branch, it's, it's a tree. So, maybe God told Moses, chop down that tree, throw the whole thing in the pond, in the oasis. Or maybe he just broke the branch off and threw the branch in. Doesn't matter, necessarily, but that's what God told him to do, and he did, and when he did, the water was made sweet. So, there are two possibilities of what happened there. Did God just test Moses, do this silly, meaningless thing, the Bible is full of that kind of thing, where God tells Naaman, go, go dip in the river seven times and you'll be healed of leprosy. Elisha, the prophet, tells the king, bang these arrows on the ground and you'll win the battle. There's numerous times where God or Jesus tell people to do something that's just a test of, are you humble enough to do this silly, meaningless, powerless thing, and I will do a miracle for you. So did God just tell Moses, throw the stick in the water? And when Moses, in front of all these hundreds of thousands or millions of people, is just humble enough to just throw the stick in the water, God, does God miraculously heal the waters? Or is there something, a natural process going on? Is the wood absorbing the mineral or the sulfur or the alkaline out of the water? But Moses didn't know that. It came from God either way. So it's either just an outright miracle when God tells Moses to do something silly or it's a word of knowledge. The Spirit of God tells Moses, do this thing, and the thing works. The wood absorbs the alkalinity or the, the mineral out of the water, and it's drinkable. I don't know which one. It doesn't really matter. God tells Moses what to do. Moses does it. The water's made sweet and drinkable. And um, some translation says, and, God, and the water was healed. And then, as the people... Get, and their animals get to drink. I'm sure that took hours. Then God says this. 
If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you on which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God gives them a conditional promise, which most of God's promises are, if you will obey, if you obey me, you'll never get sick. I am the Lord who heals you. So God turns this thing from about undrinkable water to healing. I will not put any diseases on you. I am the Lord who heals you. In English, we get a sentence there when the translators translate it, for I am the Lord who heals you. In Hebrew, there are only two words. It's not a sentence. It's God's name. It says Yahweh, which is God's personal name, I am, and then Rapha, which means healer. God says, if you will do what I say, I will put none of the diseases on you in which you have brought on the Egyptians. I am healer. God's ultimate purpose is to reveal himself to his people, not just fix their circumstances. Yes, I care about your circumstances. Yes, I want to make this water drinkable. I don't want you to die of thirst in the wilderness. But what I really want you to know is I want you to know me. How does this apply to us? Paul says in the New Testament, all of this story is, is a sign to us who have inherited the new covenant. How is this Jesus and us? Well, the bitter waters are the circumstances and events and relationships of our life. Some of that can get pretty undrinkable. Hello? Some of it's really, really bitter. And what do you think the tree in the water might be? It's the cross. The New Testament, using that Hebrew idea that a tree is a tree, whether it's alive or dead or cut or formed into something, the New Testament says numerous times Jesus died on a tree. He wasn't crucified on a live tree with branches and leaves. The New Testament calls that a tree. The bitterness is the circumstances and relationships and the events of our life. And this is a picture of Jesus being thrown into the circumstances of our life and he absorbs the bitterness and makes it, he heals the waters. He's the one who absorbed all of the bitterness of humanity. And as we put him in the circumstances, in the events, in our relationships. He can make it fresh. And he heals the water. But ultimately, again, God is not only interested in healing our circumstances and our relationships. He wants us to know him. I am where you find healing. I am the one who you come to. God is still our healer. So four things that I, I want you to get out of this story. Number one is that God led them to Mara. God took them there. It wasn't an accident. It was necessary. It wasn't a mistake. It was God's will. Maybe he only took them there to test them. Maybe he only took them there to this undrinkable water on purpose, just to see if they would trust him and to show them how to trust him. Yeah. 
But 20 years ago, Maury Nelson, those of you who know him, taught on this Bible story on our Wednesday night Bible class. And he said, maybe God brought them there to heal them with the bitter water. Because whether it's mineralish or alkaline, both of those things have healing properties. And he said, they've just come out of Egypt and God got them out of Egypt, but now I need to get the Egypt out of you. And God wants to do a cleanse. He wants to flush them out. If they will drink this salty or minerally or alkaline water, it will get rid of the parasites and some sicknesses. People have for all of world history have drunk sulfur water and soaked in hot springs and things to heal themselves. And a lot of our diseases are caused because our body is acidic instead of alkaline. If they would have drunk the terrible tasting water, the bitter waters, it would have been really powerful in healing their bodies. But they weren't willing to. They didn't want that. And so God heals their waters, makes them fresh. And what I remember Maury saying 20 years ago is, so then God had to wait 40 years to bring them out of the wilderness into the promised land because they're still carrying all that garbage around. Because they didn't receive the bitter waters that God meant to heal them. So whatever bitter waters God has led you to, either in the past or currently, the number one thing to admit and to accept is that God took you there. We're here on purpose. Because something's got to get dealt with. Either God is here to test our faith, or God is here to reveal himself, or God is here to fix something that's wrong, to heal us, and probably all three of those. He's got a purpose. So don't resist being at Mara. If that's where God's got you camped for now. Number two, the people complained and got scared, but Moses prayed. Which happens over and over and over all through the wilderness story. But it won't do any good to panic or blame or complain. The one who fixes the problem is the one who goes to God and says, what do I need to do? So it does no good to complain about your health problems or your finance problems or your family problems. You may be complaining about factual stuff or worried or scared. I mean, they have genuine reason to be scared. Three days without water. There is genuine reason to panic. But that still isn't going to solve anything. The one who solves the thing is the one who goes to God and says, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do right now. Moses accepted responsibility. And he says, tell me what I need to do. And that's the one God answers with the supernatural answer. It doesn't do any good to blame somebody else for getting you into the situation. What do I need to do to fix it, God? And then... God will tell you. And what will he tell you? Throw the tree in the water. 
Well, what could that be? God's answer to your bitter waters is the cross. Whatever God tells you to do will be bring Jesus into the situation. Hello? Don't be afraid. Quit blaming. Quit complaining. You bring Jesus into the situation. But not generically Jesus, specifically bring his death into the situation. Bring the cross into the situation. That's the tree. Hello? Jesus, God didn't tell Moses throw a man in the water. He says throw a stick in the water. And the stick is the cross. So specifically what God will tell you to do is you bring Jesus' death into this situation because at the cross he absorbed all the bitterness. He took all the wrath of God. He took all of our punishment. He took all of our pain, all of our diseases, all of our sorrows. Come on, this is Isaiah. Come on. He took it all. He, at the cross is where he absorbed it all and made the water fresh again. So we throw Jesus into the waters, but specifically the cross, his death into our circumstances. And God will fix the circumstances. He will make the water fresh, sweet, that was absolutely undrinkable. It will become sweet, but... What God is most interested in is even beyond that, yes, I'll fix your circumstances, but I want to heal you. I want to heal your heart. I want to heal your body. I don't want to stop at changing your circumstances and making them easier. I want to change you. So what does that look like in practical everyday life? What does it mean to throw the tree into the water? If the water is our circumstances and the tree is the cross, how do we do that? Well, Derek Prince says that it will require an act of faith that brings Jesus into your bitter circumstances and it will be something akin to, hey, Moses, uh, the water's undrinkable. Go chop a branch off that tree and throw it in the water. It will be something that requires you to act in faith. Like, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is the solution. I don't get it, God, but I know you told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And God will heal the waters. So there will be some act of faith on your part akin to throw the stick in the water. God will give you a direction that may or may not make sense. But when you will obey, he will heal the bitterness. So Derek Prince says that one of our main acts of faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is believing what we haven't yet seen. One of our main acts of faith is believing what hasn't happened yet. So if your desperate prayer is, God, the water is bitter. I can't drink this. I can't take this anymore. Fix it. Faith is believing what you haven't seen yet. Faith is Thank you, God, that the tree is in the water. I don't see any change yet. This still really, really, really hurts. I cannot drink this, but I know Jesus is in this. And he is healing it already. And we thank God for the answer before it comes. That's faith. 
It's not wrong to ask him. It's not wrong to beg him. It's not wrong to pray desperate prayers. But also pray with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. We thank him for what we have not yet experienced. The water still tastes bitter, but I thank you, Jesus, that you have made it sweet. So I want to do that right now. Just silently, everyone on your own. I'm assuming this message applies to most everybody in the room. Maybe some of you are not drinking bitter water right now in any way. Great. Praise God. Probably most of us are. You need to ask forgiveness for complaining and blaming. Ask Jesus, what do I need to do to get the tree in the water? He may or may not speak to you right now, but keep asking until you know what the Lord has told you to do. And then thank him that he is sweetening the waters right now. It's a done deal since the cross. Amen. Amen. All week long, continue to bring him your requests and your needs. You can tell him how bitter the water is. It's fine. Just make sure you don't stop there. God, what do I need to do to obey you to make these waters fresh, sweet? And thank him. This is our act of faith. Thank him that it's happened, even when you haven't seen it yet happen. That, my friends, is my sermon until Friday morning. Sermon was done, was ready to go. Um, it was confirmed several times. And then Friday morning in prayer, I'd, I was not thinking about my sermon at all. I was hours in prayer and Bible reading, and all of a sudden the Lord spoke to me. I mean, He spoke to me. I don't mean audibly, but it was not a thought, it was God. And he added this next part. Bobby Connor would say right here, I'm either lying to you or God spoke to me. <laughs> and you're here. So this is for you. Everything I'm about to say came to me in a half a second, just a flash. Uh, it's revelation. Dropped it, downloaded it in me. Your body is 75% water. You are a semi-solid pool of water. And most of you could be named Mara. Your body has bitterness in it. Either because of sins you have done with your body or to your body or sins other people did to your body or you have Emotions that are destroying your body. Come on, that's biblical. If you know, if your, emotion, if you know your emotions are in your body, it's because you, you feel physically your depression or your sorrow or your pain or your anger or whatever else. Some of you, your body is diseased, and that, that's bitterness. I, some of you, your body is full of unforgiveness. It's probably most everybody here. Poisoned in some way, either physically or emotionally, it's just body's just full of bitterness. The pool of water that is your body is bitter. Put the tree in the water, and Jesus will make it sweet. 
So how do we get that in here? Because it's not some generic, oh, Jesus lives in my heart. Because we're not talking about Jesus, we're talking about the cross. Hello? So how do I get the cross in my body? Well, Paul mentions it. A verse that I have never understood before, and I I don't claim that I do. But I see that it applies in this situation. 2 Corinthians 4.10, Paul says he's always carrying about in his body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a bunch of different applications that could make. But Paul says, I carry the death of Jesus in my body. Let, Let me show you the whole context of that verse Verses 8 to 11, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. This is a super mysterious passage, but Paul says, if you carry around the death of Jesus in your body, it will make your body alive. If you throw the cross in the water, it will make it fresh. Are you with me? Help me, Lord. Is this making any sense? I'm I'm saying your body is a pool of water. It's full of bitterness. Either disease or unforgiveness or anger or pain or, or environmental poisons or the drugs you've taken, both the illegal and the legal stuff, uh, the food you've eaten, the, it's full of bitterness. We've got to get the cross in there. How does that happen? How do we get the death of Jesus in our body? Well, Paul says he does it. How does that happen? Paul says, I carry around the death of Jesus in my body, and it makes me alive. But as most things are in the kingdom of heaven, highly ironic. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I affirm to you, I die every day. And he doesn't mean physical death. He doesn't mean he crawls up on a cross. And, but he said, I died with Christ. And he said, and I die every day. What does that mean? He dies to himself. And this is what Jesus meant in Luke 9 when he says this. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Paul says, I carry around in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, every day, all of you must take up your cross and follow me and give up your life. It's the same thing. It's it's the same thing. And Paul says, I do that every day. Well, the word life there, Jesus says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Jesus said, lose your life for my sake. The word life there that Jesus picked does not mean biological life. And it does not mean the time span of your lifetime. The word is psyche. Jesus chose the word psyche, which means in Greek what it means in English. Psychology, it means soul. Jesus says the way you take up your cross every day is to give up your soul for my sake. What is your soul? It's your mind and your will and your emotions. What does your mind say? I think. What does your will say? I want. What does your emotions say? I feel. Jesus said, give it up. Give up what you think and what you want and what you feel. Crucify them. 
Crucify your desires, crucify your thoughts, crucify your feelings. For my sake. If we do that for any other reason than pure love for Jesus, then it's dysfunctional. If I do it in self-righteousness, if I do it in resentment, if I do it in martyrdom, uh, if I do it with anger, pride, then it doesn't just hurt, it's going to harm me. But if I, if I do it for Jesus, it will, it will just hurt. <laughs> but it won't harm. How do we put the cross in the pool that is our body and get rid of all the bitterness that's in our body? Jesus said, take up the cross every day and give up your soul. What I think doesn't count. What I want doesn't count today. What I feel doesn't count today. Only what God thinks, only what God wants, only what God feels, only what the person I need to love, what do they think, what do they want, what do they feel, that's how I'm going to live. That's what the Lord told me on Friday morning. So here is your act of faith, your silly thing to do that is throw the stick in the water, Moses, and I'll do a miracle. No, you don't, nobody has to do this, um, but I think probably most of us do. I invite you to come up and hug this cross. And as we hug the cross, just in that simple act, as we hug the cross, the hug means I embrace the cross. I take this up. I give up my life. I give up my, I give up my psyche. I give up what I want. I give up what I think. I give up what I feel for what God thinks and feels and wants, what the person I need to love thinks and feels and wants. Put the cross in the water, Jesus, and get all this bitterness out of me. I die on the cross. This is what, when, when, two weeks ago when Freedom mentioned the most beautiful romance will be when the bride says, I want to be crucified with my lover. This is what it looks like in everyday life. I die with Jesus. I die like Jesus. This is how I throw the cross in my bitter water is that I give up my life. Jesus said, if you give it up to me now, you'll save it for eternity. He's not asking you not to be you. He's not telling you that you don't matter, you're not valuable, you don't count. But for now, give it up. And you'll preserve it for eternity. Do what God wants. Do what the other person needs, regardless of what you think, feel, or want. And you will see the waters turn fresh. The bitter waters will become very, very, very sweet. It's open if you want to come. Thank you, Jesus, for providing the tree to cast into the bitterness. Thank you for absorbing what was painful, what was bitter. You took it all on yourself. And you poured out everything fresh and sweet, the blood of your life that washes us and fills us. Thank you for taking it all on yourself, giving it all up.
We trust you, Jesus. We love you. We bless you. We celebrate you. We thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making the bitter waters sweet at the cross. We bless your holy name. Amen.